Welcome to Basket News Talks and our roundtable of Olympic Basketball Tournament. My name is Donato Surbonas and I'm joined by my colleagues from basketnews.com, Yorgos Kiriakidis and Horacio Kauke. Good day, gentlemen. Hi, guys. Hi, everyone. Uh, pleasure to be here, of course. This time, uh, we'll discuss the most exciting things around the round two of uh, Tokyo Olympic Games, uh, like Slovenia showing historical numbers, uh, critical time for Argentina, and the Cinderella story of the Olympic basketball. Uh, so, guys, just relax. Bring that bottle of vodka uh, on the table. Bring some shisha. Bring some cards. And let's make a let's make a great round table, just like Slovenians did after their first win in Tokyo. Yeah, they they definitely had fun, you know, after after the game uh, against Argentina. Uh, you know, there were these. Uh, photos of a party inside the Tokyo uh, the Tokyo Olympic Village uh, do, which do I, you call it a party in Italy I mean I think it was just you know a casual round table yeah let's call it. I mean I, I don't know if the guys in Tokyo that they are that they are arranging the tournament were very happy about that meeting but <laughs> I can understand that you know they just wanted to chill a little bit after the game and they were satisfied with the with the outgoing because Of course, uh, against Argentina, Doncic was absolutely fantastic with uh, 48 points, 11 rebounds, uh, five assists. Uh, it was uh, definitely one of the best performances ever in uh, an Olympic basketball game. And um, yes, Slovenia, as we also you know mentioned in 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 the article in the website that you, that you wrote about their numbers, uh, their numbers have been absolutely incredible so far especially offensively uh they're they're averaging uh, uh 117 points per game in these first two games uh but uh, offensively you know they've been on a, on a really good run even during the pre-olympic tournaments uh because uh they scored 118 against uh against angola they scored uh, 112 against poland And then they had 98 against Venezuela, and finally they had 96 against Lithuania in the in the final of the Paralympic tournament. So offensively, uh, it's really working well for for Slovenia. You know they're scoring a lot. Uh, the the ball is moving well, despite the fact that Luca, of course, sometimes he stops the ball because he needs his his shots and his uh, his possessions, but. He has been really, really good. You know, uh, the system is working really well. Also with the uh, with the other guys in the backcourt. You know, with with Prepalic, with with Zoran Dragic. Uh, they have uh, another uh, very good guy in Vlako Chanchar, who has been very, very positive for the team so far. And you know, even the addition of Toby, uh, who was the uh, let's say the passportized player for for this. For this tournament is giving them uh, another dimension that maybe they didn't have uh, much th at the beginning uh, because um, Toby is also a very particular big man. You know, he can play inside. He knows how to do that, but he, he also has some range from outside, so he can expand the floor even more for them. And uh, they, they've been very, very difficult to handle uh, because defensively you don't have many you know many weapons especially against a guy like Luca 
who has been on a absolutely fantastic form in these first two games. He's averaging uh, 36.5 points, nine rebounds, and six assists per game. I mean, these are huge, huge numbers. And uh, I don't know what you guys are thinking, but I mean, the first two games have been really, really good for them. Yeah, uh, definitely agree with you, Orazio. Uh, I also agree with Hachimura that it's not all about Doncic here. And the team actually has a lot of guys who can score, especially from a distance. Uh, Dragic, Chanchar, as you said, uh, Prepolic, uh, Blasic, they're a well-old scoring machine overall. And Lucas Saiz can make the difference on both ends of the court because we're seeing that he, he's very good at defense as well. Uh, it's not only that they shoot better than their rivals do, um, they usually uh, out-rebound them um, too, which gives them second chances to score. Um, Luka is 15-0 with Slovenia and will take, I think, great effort um, and an opponent imposing a slower pace to take them down. And their confidence is over the top. Uh, There's an observation about Slovenia and Spain. I think if it, ha it hadn't been for the FIBA windows ahead of the 2019 World Cup, the Slovenia as the reigning Eurobasket the champs would have been in Beijing. Uh, of course, we'll never know what, what would ha have happened there, uh, but it makes for an interesting uh, story an interesting debate on the theoretical level as well. Yeah, and what they're doing in Tokyo is historical, but I have to admit that, you know, I saw them in Kaunas and I, I didn't see nothing new. And actually they're, you know, following the same routine like in Kaunas. And I have in mind, you know, all these, you know, round table parties in the locker room and stuff like that. And it's just the way this team is. They are relaxed, they're having fun. They don't underestimate anybody, just enjoying their time together on and off the court. And you can see that, you know, uh, on the floor, actually. And they're just dominant and they're just unstoppable. And I'm uh, very curious to see uh, how Spain will test them on Sunday because Spain is kind of, you know, before we were used to uh, up-tempo basketball of Spain and we, we knew we identified Spain as a, you know, offensive-minded team. But from 2019 FIBA World Cup, we saw that uh, they, you know, they changed their momentum. Now they are, you know, defensive uh, uh, powerhouse. They allowed only 70 points per game in China two years ago and they become world champions. And you can see the game against Argentina, for example. Uh, the second quarter was a perfect example. Like almost every second position was, you know, late clock situation and Spain was forcing uh, Argentina to shoot from a really uh, tough situation. So it's, it's going to be really interesting to see on Sunday how Spain will test the Slovenia offense, which is, you know, it's like they're playing like a, the dream team in 1992. They're just, you know, scoring the same number of points per game. And it's just something else. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, it is going to be really, uh, really difficult to, to stop them. Uh, I mean, Spain has some more weapons than, than Argentina, you know, to, to limit them a little bit. Of course, they are a deeper team than, than Argentina. They have more options. But uh, yeah, as you said, that they are playing great. There is uh, great chemistry between them. It's, it's just going to be very, very difficult to limit them. Last Spain boasts a total of uh, 18 Olympic medals in a team in which only Lopez Arostegui, Usman Garuba, and Alberto Abalde don't know what it is to climb on the Olympic podium. That's very important, I think. Uh, yes, uh, on the one hand, they're an aging team, uh, but they're also a team that has aged well and seems to have carved out um, a way for themselves to stay afloat, stay relevant, stay competitive. Uh, I don't think uh, they can measure up to Slovenia. 
um, or even a U.S. team, a good U.S. team, or even France, despite the fact that they beat France twice, if I remember correctly, in pre-Olympic Games. In any case, they remain a solid medal contender, in my opinion. And uh, some former stars have adopted very well uh, to being role players, like Rudy Fernandez, for instance. Um, I think his uh, um, his competitive spirit and his ability uh, to adapt is, is phenomenal. We can also talk about Ruki Rubio, guys. I think that's no, we, we must talk about Ricky Rubio, probably. I mean, yeah. he's having another great tournament. And we have to remember that uh, Ricky was having a hard time, difficult time in his not even first years with the national team, like almost a decade with the national team, because he was always that kind of, you know, a big star, big name on Spanish national team. But he never, you know, emerged as the main guy of Spanish national team. But this team is, you know, is in his hands. And he's providing, again, huge numbers. He's scoring, I guess, 23 points per game. And he is just dominant because we always recognize him as a you know great defensive player, great playmaker. But now he's all, uh, also making three-pointers. And it makes him just a complete player on the FIBA court. Yes. Um, once he was used to his rivals defending uh, him under the screen with their uh, index fingers pointing down. And now he shoots off the dribble. Um, he shoots on catch-and-shoot uh, situations to become a sniper, a sample that everyone can improve, maybe on their weaknesses to a larger or smaller extent. Um, he was a leader uh, throughout the World Cup. Um, he is a leader right now. And um, I think that uh, on June uh, 16, if I remember correctly, um, the alarms went off for Spain when uh, Rubio publicly put in question his participation with the Spanish national team. Uh, but it did not take him too long to motivate himself after talking with some of his teammates, uh, so much so that uh, he personally called uh, Sergio Scariolo uh, on the phone to ask if there was still some time left for him to join the team, even at the last minute. Uh, of course, uh, Scariolo replied, what are you talking about? Uh, he was very surprised that uh, Rubio um, was even questioning his own participation and his, the, the, the possibility uh, for him to, to enter the team, even at the last minute. And I would say that his career has been anything but simple so far. Uh, he had to mature before the rest, and uh, he had to overcome obstacles that few had to face. In 2016, uh, he lost his mother. He, she was a fundamental uh, figure in his sports career, and um, support um, in his environment it was a severe blow from which he needed a reasonable time to recover, and which ended up uh, becoming the, the engine that helped him eventually it should become the player that he is right now. Yeah, I mean, it, it is true. Rubio has faced many, you know, many troubles, many issues in his career. You know, uh, it hasn't been easy for him. Um, and even, you know, even now, you know, he's coming from a very difficult season with Minnesota. It's like they, they, they are trying to make things work, but they're not really working so far. There have been a lot of, of frustrations, of issues. And, you know, for him, it's important to come back to the, the FIBA environment, you know, and uh, creating, uh, again, this image of himself, of being, you know, a leader, of being a very important player. And as you said, uh, often, you know, in the FIBA contest, is is a much more uh, dangerous offensive player than sometimes it is in the, in the NBA mm -hmm. because his three-point shooting is more consistent and when that when the shot goes in, it just becomes more dangerous, you know, because he's already a great defensive player, he's already a great 
you know, asses, man. You know, he can put his teammates in rhythm and everything. But when he's also connected offensively, he's a very difficult player to limit, you know, and he immediately becomes uh, really a leader for, for this group. And mm-hmm. when it takes struggles, the team which is struggling at the moment is Argentina. If I'm not wrong, they lost all their preparation stage games and they lost all two uh, games in the Olympics and they have to beat Japan and on Sunday and b- make it, you know, uh, by a huge margin to make the quarterfinals because two best third place teams will qualify and point differential uh, will play a huge role. So what's what's not clicking for Argentina, guys? Can I go first? Of course. Yeah, go for it. Okay. Uh, Coach Sergio Hernandez said that they're not playing well, that they have lost their essence, their DNA, uh, what they have always been. Uh, but uh, he added that they can recover. I, I don't think so. Uh, they're a team that lack depth in their roster. It's no surprise that at both games against Slovenia and against Spain as well, they ran out of steam with the passage of time. Um, today, they had an excellent uh, first quarter, especially on offense leading. Uh, by five, and then suffered um, a lot against Spain's defense, scoring only 11 points in 13 minutes of play. With the exception of La Provitola, who scores uh, 27 points, and by the way, Saras must be smiling somewhere in Barcelona right now, and no one else uh, could take over and uh, make some shots. And Capazzo's uh, magical World Cup is quite distant right now. Scola only looks um, two years older. Uh, Pato Garino comes off uh, a very serious injury and isn't quite ready to play at his level right now. And Nico Brusino was great with Sarah also, but the national team is uh, another story. And uh, the others simply can't cut it uh, so far. I think that Vildosa, Dekan Campazzo going to the NBA uh, in the middle of the season left them uh, stuck somewhere uh, in between Europe and the States. Had they stayed in Europe or had they gone to the NBA from the start of last season, I believe they would be playing much better right now. All of them had very good numbers against Slovenia. Uh, don't get me wrong. Uh, but they... I don't think they, they played um, according to, to their stat line. Um, the major part of the contribution came towards the end when the game was practically over. And Campazzo tearing off his jersey with four minutes remaining on the clock uh, today uh, was one of the striking images of the game against uh, Spain. Uh, if Scola retires, I think that it's not going to be simply the end of an era for Argentina, like in Pau Gasol's case with Spain. Uh, Spain has a lot of arsenal, and uh, we will be talking about a completely different team in Argentina's case. Not only because uh, they lack a competence uh, center, but they also need to regroup and develop their next generation of players. Brusino is 28, uh, Deck is 26, uh, Garino 28, Bolmaro just 20. Uh, the question is, who will take over if uh, Campasso isn't uh, running the show anymore? Yeah, yeah, I mean, it, it, it has okay. been difficult because, uh, as as Giorgio said, you know, when, when you have Campazzo's not producing at his usual level, you know, it becomes very, very difficult for this team because you don't have much more scorer in, in that team. There is not a lot of depth, of course. Uh, today against Spain, Campazzo had also foul issues, so he needed to sit for a while. And the only real scoring option was La Provitola because the other guys, they were not providing enough offensive, you know, firepower. Uh, Deck was very limited offensively. He didn't contribute much. And of course, you cannot rely too much on, on Scola because, of course, 
is 40 he's 41 years old it's gonna be difficult for him to to lead the team in every single game uh so uh, yeah the, the 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 main issue is the fact that they don't have enough depth and uh there's been issues you know in finding good young players that can provide value for this team because uh, as Georgios was saying you know you don't have a lot of 20, 21 years old guys on this roster. Uh, they are already in 28, 29 range. So already at a certain point of their career, their only really young player is Bolmaro. But Bolmaro, you know, still lacks the experience to be, you know, the true factor for a team. He still needs to work on that front. So uh that's that's something that you cannot fix from one game to another you know you need more time to do that i hear you guys mentioning all these names but it seems like uh you're missing luca vildoza he's only 25 if i'm correct or, yeah. or you don't believe that you know he can be in charge of this team you know when Campazzo or uh, la provitola uh, you know will retire i mean he looked the part in a way two years ago but um, in this tournament, it's another story. He has the quality, but he has, in my opinion, to, to mature a little bit. I'm sure that the NBA will help him to an extent, uh, but uh, I'm not sure he is capable of really taking over the team like Campazzo has done until now. Yeah, I, I believe the same. You know, I don't think that right now this is the best moment for, uh, for Vildoza, you know, to take over the team. Uh, he has been through a very particular season for him because he needed to he needed to leave Basconia in, in in probably the most crucial part of the season because he was just right before the playoffs and um, you know he, he never really played in New York when he arrived. Uh, he, he has been working out with some of their coaching staff, but he. He never had minutes with the team, so it was a difficult situation. I don't think that he arrived in the best possible condition for uh, uh, for these Olympic Games, and yeah, it, I just don't think that as of right now is is ready to take over the team, uh, especially you know in the situation when Campazzo is not really producing as his usual level. Yeah, so Argentina will need, you know, to make some fairy tale stories, you know, to make a comeback from the tough situation they are right now. And uh, let's finish this roundtable actually with a fairy tale from Latvia. But before before that, I will ask you guys: uh, Do you follow three on three basketball and how popular it is in in Italy, in Greece? Uh, in in Italy, he has. Uh, he has starting to get some some followers, you know, behind them. Uh, it, of course, he's still not really uh, very popular, but uh, it, I think that he's becoming bigger in the last few years, especially because I think that the federation is is putting some money there in in promoting uh, this uh, this version, and uh, I think that it, it's kind of an easy thing to promote because. It's uh, it's a very uh, street format of basketball, so it's it's easier to promote because you don't need an arena to play in, you know. So it's it's easier, and uh, I think that especially for younger people, it, it's great because uh, also the the games they are not 
uh, long like the regular games. So it's it's a little bit easier to to promote it for uh, for a younger audience. Uh, personally, I'm not like a huge fan of this of this version because uh, I I always prefer you know the the, the standard version of, of the sport, but he has some interesting elements, of course, and uh, uh, it can it can be also very you know very technical uh, in in some ways. Uh, I'm not like super high. I, I don't know how much you know how much popular can become, especially in Italy. Uh, of course, I'm talking of of my area mainly. Uh, but uh, I was watching you know the Olympics. I was I was following the the the, the woman team of Italy because they got the uh, they got the qualification to Tokyo and they arrived to the quarterfinals. Uh, they just lost against China. Uh, but they did a good job, you know, and uh, I, I believe that this opportunity, you know, will only increase uh, the the popularity of this um, of this version. In Greece, it used to be popular, but I would say on a non-organized level, uh, when you play three on three um, in a neighborhood level and the amateur level, okay. Uh, when you play it in a professional level, it's quite a different story. Uh, right now, I don't think that Greece has the means to support in terms of the organization of the federation. The federation has set completely different goals. Um, I mean, there is no federation in Greece <laughs> at the time as we speak. Um, there are going to be elections uh, in September. Uh, we'll see what happens. But now I think uh, the priority uh, of the state and the federation uh, is to get more, um, more kids involved in basketball, in general, I would say. Uh, from the grassroots level and not uh, engage them in a three or three contests. That's another thing. It used to be popular in the past uh, when 10 years ago, for example, players like Nikos Papas or Georgos Bogris uh, played in such a tournament he organized here in Athens. I think it was a great, great event uh, taking part in the center of the city and uh, it got many people involved as well. But uh, right now, I think they're leaning towards other options. Yeah, we actually had Jonas Machulis uh, playing uh, for in in you know on three on three basketball tournament last year, and it was a real success uh, because uh, we had a really good uh, tournament organized after the first lockdown in Lithuania. And you know, since the season was cut short, uh, I mean, all the players were also missing basketball so much that uh, many uh, pro professional players actually from the Lithuanian basketball league participated in that tournament. So it was a great start, you know, to promote the game, and now the federation is also more involved in promoting uh, uh, and, you know, kind of, you know, creating a structure for free and free basketball because they see uh, uh, the opportunity. And we, we witnessed that Latvians saw the opportunity and they, you know, use it uh, so well. Uh, they won against Russian Olympic Committee team in the finals of three and three basketball, first ever actually hosted in the Olympic uh, Games, and it was you know incredible uh, event, let's say for for basketball fans around the world because it was a very tight final of a great game winner of a one player playing through broken calf actually and stuff so there was a lot of drama involved and i will tell you you know why this is kind of a fairy tale of three on three basketball uh, basketball and uh, before the story i remember yanis uh quote after the nba finals where he told that you know 
his example is giving hope for kids with a tough bank, tough background and uh, Latvian story is different, but it, I would also call it a Cinderella story because I believe that free and free basketball gives a great opportunity to change that direction of your life in basketball. If you know, if you didn't succeed, uh, at, at, on a pro level. And for example, Nauris Miesis, Carlos Lasmanis, Edgar Skrumins, Agnes Chavars share incredible path to becoming Olympic champions. For example, number one ranked player in the world, Nauris Miesis, uh, was involved in a betting scandal early in his pro career. Uh, he admitted his mistake, but Federation at first didn't want him, uh, didn't want to let him go and to be on Latvian uh, Olympic three-on-three team because of that. But their manager insisted that there's no chance you know, to create the team without him on the roster. Uh, the other guy, Edgar Skrumins, who played through the broken calf, he, you know, he was involved in, let's say, car business. And uh, uh, he was not a real pro, let's say, uh, but he was persuaded to give a chance, uh, this, you know, to give a chance on, on free on free basketball. And he was playing for a while and sometimes he was just sleeping in his car, you know, during this tournament. So it's also an incredible story. Agnes, uh, Agnes Chavers, uh, he was, he's a former uh, Latvian league champion, uh, but in recent years, he had a full-time job in uh, IT and programming. So free and free basketball was kind of a side job, signed hobby for him. Uh, Carlos Lasmanis uh, also was a pro player, uh, but in the, you know, recent years, he worked as a rover in the port of Ventspils uh, and, you know, three on three helped him to come back to basketball. And now he's, you know, getting big interest from Asia where they can offer huge, huge money uh, uh, for free on three stars. Uh, then we have uh, like Arthur Strelnix, uh, who helped these guys to prepare for the tournament. He's a brother of Janis Strelnix. There is one guy like Raimonds Elbakians who started to build uh, his ghetto games empire. It, it, this is that how it's called in Latvians. And it's kind of, you know, something which uh, started free on free basketball uh, in Latvia. So there are so many interesting things in Latvia and all Latvia is now, uh, you know, hyped about this success because it was only their fourth gold medal in Olympic history. And, you know, everybody's involved right now, like prime ministers, uh, politics, some some famous people. And some even say that, you know, in 10 years, free on free basketball will be even more popular, popular than classic basketball. So I would like to hear, you know, your short, short opinion about uh, that kind of prediction. Uh, I mean, it's it's definitely been a great story. First of all, uh, as you said, and uh, it's it's good to see when you, uh, especially you know, when you have this situation of uh, second chances. You know, uh, maybe you didn't have, uh, you weren't able to have a great career in, in professional basketball, or uh, you had some you know some troubles in your life, and you have this opportunity, you know, to come back in a, in a different version. And also becoming a, a different version of yourself, maybe a better one, you know. So uh, there is definitely a, a great side of the story uh, because, uh, you know, these, these second chances for uh, a lot of people are very, very important, you know, because, uh, again, maybe you have troubles in your life and this sport gives you a different perspective, you know, and uh, it gives you uh, a different kind of, of opportunity. So. Uh, it's definitely you know good to hear this um this this kind of stories and 
of course, when you reach the stage of the Olympics, uh, you you have also a much much bigger platform to promote off of it, and uh, and that's great, of course. I agree. Uh, I agree because the Olympics uh, have always been a platform for incredible stories for uh, people who have come back from uh, nothing to something to being something in their lives. And uh, now the three on three, okay, is uh, becoming more and more relevant, uh, I guess. I don't think that it will ever overshadow five on five, uh, let's say normal uh, basketball. Uh, but I think that it has the ingredients to become more and more popular and uh, to to evolve uh, as a genre of uh, basketball uh, in Europe and uh, why not in the rest of the world? I think the United States are a superpower, uh, as we saw in women's basketball, uh, playing many, many uh, uh, WNBA uh, players uh, right now. Uh, I think... Um, Latvia provides a very good story for other teams uh, to get see more serious about it and put it in their programs. I don't know um, whether it's going to be in the forefront or uh, whether it's going to be less of a priority. We're going to, to see what happens. Uh, nevertheless, uh, I think that this um, um, idea of FIBA to uh, introduce the three-on-three into the Olympic program uh, has been very successful so far in the first okay uh, tournament that we've seen and we're ready to see what's up next yeah and let's get back to classic basketball and we have france australia uh, slovenia and spain already qualified for the quarterfinals uh, the last games of the group stage will be played on saturday and sunday for example on saturday we're gonna see the do or die game between Italy and Nigeria. Uh, USA against Czech Republic gonna be interesting to watch. Australia and Germany still uh, waiting. And on Sunday, we will have do or die game for Argentina. As we mentioned, they're playing against Spain. And of course, Spain, uh, I'm sorry, Argentina is playing against Japan and Spain uh, is playing Slovenia on Sunday too. And after the group stage, we will have, uh, let's say, draw ceremony um to you know to check who's going to play against who in quarterfinals and we will have the final bracket for the rest of the olympic tournament uh but so far yeah let's enjoy the olympic uh, basketball thank you so much gentlemen for being uh, in this round table it was a pleasure and uh, thank you everybody who were listening to it and you can follow us on basketnews.com uh and on basket news uh, youtube channel Thank you. Thank you.